We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We welcome you in here on Wednesday, July 19th, to your show where we are going to do another preview of the AFC North. As we're looking around the AFC North, we're going to hit on the Baltimore Ravens today. Excited to do that, get to know them a little bit more. Going to have Andrew Spade with me here in just a moment. If you if you missed what's going on at the website, we are kind of pushing some things through to the finish line. We have had some safety analysis, both the 23 and 24 room outlook projections from Jack Duffin. Fred Greetham put out his safety preview and then special teams preview today. And then you will also find on the website some information on, uh, you know, looking at some UDFAs who have the potential to actually make this roster where in years past, it's been a, a spot. A lot more guys had a chance to make, but this year things start to get a little tight. So I went through and took a look at uh, those guys that I think have a decent, relatively decent shot to, to make the roster and put that out there for you. So Make sure you take advantage of that. Something going on at the OBR that I do want to make sure uh, at this point, I'd be remiss to not talk about it. We're going to have some great stuff going up uh, in, 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 I think, you know, the next two weeks or so, three weeks with some membership opportunities. I do want to remind you that if you are an, uh, a Paramount Plus person, right, you use that for movies or your children use that for shows. If you do an annual monthly subscription with us, you, you get to have that for free. I just want to remind you that that is a part of our subscription model here at the OBR, that that is something that you can get as a part of your OBR memberships. You can join us, do the forums, ask the insiders, get the rumors, all that stuff that you have traditionally loved about the OBR, uh, access to asking us whatever you would like or having banter back and forth, which I think is really unique for, for, for those of you who are diehard Browns fans. You also get that Paramount Plus. So uh, make sure you check that out. That's an opportunity that's out there for membership that I think you should take advantage of. I know we do on our side because our kids love uh, the shows that are on there and then uh, the, the movies that are available as well for the adults and some shows that I think have made their way on there too. So take advantage of that. Otherwise, now what we're going to talk about, Andrew, as we kick off and welcome you in, uh, we have to talk about the uniforms, right? The Browns have not worn a different color orange helmet uh, than orange helmet since 1946, right? Um, there's some famous autogram photos yeah. out there of those uniforms. They decided today to release a white uniform entirely now they're going to keep that 75th anniversary uniform that they wore in 21 did they wear it last year i don't recall that they wore it last year i don't i, I can, believe they did i don't think they did yeah i don't think they last did either. Think they said they were the keeping it around mask. yeah so white face mask was the wrinkle which i still hope they bring that wrinkle into more uh certainty but uh yeah that needs we, to be get, a thing it, for sure it's been saying it for years it's the best look that they mm-hmm. have so maybe that's the next layer in the uniform process that they love doing now um mm. Anyway, they decided to unveil a white helmet and uh, the what the white helmet, a brown and orange stripe down the middle. And it pairs really well with that 75th anniversary uniform, I would say, Andrew. Uh, what did you think? Like, what's your first impression of it? Yeah, aesthetics wise, uh, great choice. Um, really, really nice look. Very clean. Um, you know, I have always been a fan of the the all white, you know, the white top, white bottom uh, uniform combo, even in their classic uniform. I didn't like it you know, during the, what do we want to call that? The reboot years or whatever, when they had the, yeah. the aggressive stripe and lettering on the legs, but, but the classic uniform to me, 
I, I have always enjoyed how clean the all white look is. And I think it, you know, and then it wears well during the game. So, um, you know, uh, this is a version of that. I really like what they do with the numbers. So I, yeah, I'm excited to see those back. I think honestly, it'll be exciting to see them. Maybe, I mean, like knock on wood, play some winning football in those things. Cause the, <laughs> when they wore them, I mean, the game yeah. I think of is that Packers game on Christmas where they, yeah. you know, I mean, they, they should have won that game, didn't win that game. And it was very frustrating and it would be nice to see them. You know, I think they're, they're wearing them what for the first time week two in Pittsburgh, I think, you know, a win there in those uniforms and they, Ooh, they're going to really, they're going to get into the rotation, right? They would listen. I'll say this. I think you could wear any uniform in the world. If you're winning in it, it looks great. Right. So the, exactly the baseline right. of, yeah. of Andrew and I's point is, win games that matters more than anything yeah. right you know show yeah. me some wins but yeah the uniforms yeah. are sharp it'd be really cool to, to unveil those the way they're planning to week two and uh, go into pittsburgh yeah. and get a win in those that'd be really that'd be really cool the thing uh, i think I, I think caught most people by surprise andrew is that they're wearing them three times uh i yeah. think that the, the buzz was that they were going to just wear them once but i think that's a little weird to just introduce an alternate helmet and just wear it one time especially when you already have the uniforms in place so like three times makes sense to me i like i like that angle i think they're wearing them do you have the, the, the dates at which they're wearing them? I don't have it right in front of me. We can find uh, that. It's the two primetime uh, games, which is the Steelers and the Jets, which is that's a Thursday night or late in the season in between Christmas and New Year's. And then the other one is that 49ers game, which is during the day mm-hmm. because the Browns, as of now, only have the two night games, which, you know, we just talked about. So uh, it's disappointing that they don't have a third because I think they will look better at night. But, um, you know, that'll be a pretty good look. Uh, with the 49ers uh, wearing, you know, what would that would that would be their 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 off color is red, right? So that'll be a nice yeah. looking that'll be a nice looking should. uniform matchup in week six. And you know, it's mid October, so you know, maybe by the end of the game, it'll be you know a little bit uh, dusky, if nothing else. So um, yeah, yeah uh, I, I think you know, I <laughs> I think we you know we saw how bad it could be when they redid the uniforms, and I think they those were almost universally hated. Um, so it, they're not doing that, which is great. Like, let's be thankful for that. But I do want to say, and like Jake, you've worked with me a little bit now, you know, it's been a while, you, you know, that I can overreact to things. I, I can absolutely, uh, you know, sometimes my first take is a little strong. Uh, I, I think it is genuinely embarrassing that the team has decided to partner with a company called dude wipes to, um, uh, sponsor this, uh, you know, and there was, there was a, like, I know this stuff doesn't matter big picture, right? We're, this is a football podcast. We're talking about what happens on the field. But there was a tweet from that company today talking about basically equivocating the Browns' main color, which is brown, with shit. And we as Browns fans have had to put up with jokes like that for our entire lives. And Take now the Browns to the Super Bowl, sponsor. right? Right, you know, exactly. The now thing. they've got a sponsor doing it for us, like on our behalf. It's very, to me that like there, I like, I, I have, I'm not like so grouchy that I don't like, I like a brand that is self-aware that will have fun on social media, whatever. But at a certain point, this feels like the Browns ruining their own image to sell a few more jerseys or helmets or whatever. It feels short-sighted, right? Because if you are letting a company equate your uniform, your normal uniform with being shit stained, I think... I'm going to just go out on a limb and say long-term, that's not the best look for the Browns. I actually quoted you. You didn't know this, but I quoted your Slack comment on yesterday's pod with Jared Mueller because I thought it was uh, pretty appropriate. I did hear it, actually. I, Thank you for the shout-out. Okay, I appreciate there that. you go. Uh, I, I Listen, I, I'm with you on it. I think that, to me, people will respond with, hey, man, there was, someone's willing to give them money to do this and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, and, like, <laughs> I get that. I don't think that the Browns who have displayed over and over again that they're willing to eat money and spend more than anyone in the NFL is hurting for dollars. They're about exactly. to get a new stadium exactly. deal from some of the, exactly. I, I just, right. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think some people will come at it from leaning into the joke, right? Like don't take life too serious. I get that. So I just, if I was the Browns who are trying to find a way to take themselves seriously for the first time in a long time, I think I would have yeah. just said I get the point of what we're trying to do, and I think it can can some some people can see it as pretty funny, but I don't think this is the best decision for us. That's kind of that's kind of yeah. where I would have put it, and and I think no, that, yeah, you've you've yeah. yes, you've had Browns fans making fun of the Bengals for selling the naming rights to their stadium to a uh, what is it like an HR company or something like a payroll company? Yeah, would you I can't remember? It was like would you pay, rather pay have your name associated with Paycor 
Right. Yeah. Would you rather have Would you rather have it associated with that or Acrisure? You know, which is the name of the, the Steelers Stadium now, or would you rather be associated with Dude Wipes? Like, yeah, they, I, think, I mean, I think to your point, Jake, th- these guys are not broke, right? They are not broke. They have other sponsors. This is a choice, and they absolutely yeah. could have passed it up and should have passed it up because I think it makes them look cheap, like they need the money, and I think it makes them look bad, and I think they don't understand that. And it, you know, they have had some real. Uh, pardon, yeah, this is not, I do not intend this as a pun, but they have had some real stinkers recently with their marketing. That, that Logan Paul thing last year was gross Awful. and I, I did not like that. Um, I think the dog logo thing this off season has been, you know, was, was over, uh, produced and overemphasized to a point that like, I, I know that there are, like you said, that there, that there's a, there's a danger of taking life too seriously, but I also think it's very hard as, as, as I said that, you know, that what you said yesterday, you cannot on the one hand talk about, you know, 70, 80 years of storied history and Paul Brown and dignity and respect and, you know, history. And on the other hand, have your main voice of this uniform release be a company that is about selling baby wipes to grown men. Just uh, I don't you can't have it both yeah, ways. You cannot. I don't have I don't have much of an argument for it. I I, I really don't. I I think that <laughs> in that, now listen if they name this thing Dude Wipe Stadium like that would uh probably push us <laughs> to an entirely different level here, right? Because you're talking about the Bengals and Steelers as far as like what they've named their stadiums. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you're I just right. don't. It's, yeah, it's not the, the same. The, level the optics of it. Yeah. No, the optics yeah. of it though just are, when you're I I don't know the the optics around almost everything they've done for two years have been like what, what did anybody ever like raise their hand like in the meetings and say hey can we exactly. think about this for a second so exactly I get it I exactly. get it if you're a person who says I lean into the Joe they're leaning into it it's not that serious I understand where you're coming from and then uh, Andrew's side of it too I think I, I certainly see that side of it as well and again I, I think if this was say the Rams or uh, you know somebody the Chiefs it'd be funny because they have a very clear success rate of late right or right. something like i'm yep. just trying to think of teams i don't know the rams no, are the best sure. example, but they yeah. did win a super bowl two years ago like they right. they've done this the browns are trying to get people to take themselves serious like take them serious that's what they're trying it seems like it right they're emphasizing all these different things they're doing and emphasizing uh you know this this new new unleashed we're ready to win and I, yeah i just don't i don't think this is the right time to be doing that stuff if you're coming off a yeah. couple division titles maybe that's a funny thing to do but they're the one team in the NFL where it's like they're the they, they're the shit streaks. They're they're terrible, right? They, yeah. They're 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 right. like they're synonymous right. with that, and I just don't yep. know that leaning into that is the best uh, decision. Right. But you know, yeah. we're not the people making those choices, and we're on a podcast, yeah. and we keep perspective on that. So whatever, right? They are doing things like they are desperate for attention, and I yeah, don't that's think the way to say it. The, the Browns have one of the best fan bases that have stuck with them through so much bad that they do not need to act ever, ever as if they are starved for attention. It's not, it's, it is just not necessary. Yep. We'll leave it at that. We've, we've made our case dude wipes. Yeah. Thank thank you for indulging me. I I know it's a, such a small thing, but boy, it really hits me the wrong way. And uh, I don't think dude wipes are the greatest product in the world either. It's going to say it not great for uh, what they try to do. Okay going to say it. All right. Anyway, moving on past dude wipes. Uh, we are going to go to, you had a good point that we brought up before the pod that we wanted to hit on. So go ahead and share. It's a podcast series that I really like going on over at the athletic called the play callers. And you had a good point from that. So go ahead and share Andrew. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is a, um, long series. It's, it's very well done, but I have only made it through the first episode. Uh, I'll definitely get through it because it's just, it's the time of year where I, you know, it's all football content all the time. Like we talked about the other day, but, but, um, I, I was listening to the first episode and, you know, Kyle Shanahan was talking about when he went to Houston as offensive coordinator for the first time, he was trying to understand why Gary Kubiak's playbook didn't have any play action in it. And so like me hearing that, I'm like, but the main thing that they're known for is their play action. Right. And you go back far enough and it really was more predicated on the wide zone running attack, not the play action boots and you know uh, movement that you get off of the wide zone attack right and and Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan was really the guy that I mean that's why why the series is about him right because he innovated that stuff and brought it to the NFL and you know and then Sean McVay and and so on but I, I had the question and I wanted to ask you because you know much more about the game schematically than I do do you think it matters that Kevin Stefanski learned 
that offense from Gary Kubiak instead of learning it from Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay or, I mean, even now you've got Mike McDaniel out there, Matt LaFleur. These guys are all younger, right? But Gary yeah. Kubiak is, I think even, I mean, when he was in the in Minnesota a few years ago, he was he was in his, what, mid-60s, something like that? I and mean, he, he's an older guy. Do you think it matters? Well, I want to I want to reiterate something that I had to go back and double check it three times because when he said that they didn't have any play action, I was like, well, "What does he mean by that?" Well, they had bootlegs. He's talking right. he's talking about not the play action wide zone, roll the quarterback the opposite direction. Those are something that coaches, not like data collectors, and some of those folks, PFF, they collect all of it under play action. Then the label. He's talking about different things than bootlegs bootlegs were like the thing that all of those playbooks had he's talking about like straight drop play action duo type runs or different answers from where like they're selling iso so he's saying that they only had one type of movement off of their run game when a quarterback kept it to throw it bootleg so i know because when when they said that i was like there's no way there's they, they have to, I watched John Elway do bootlegs left and like, that was what they did. Right, that was why they right. were deadly. Okay. Yeah, so, good point. Um, but no, the, the, the answer to your question though, at the core is no, it's not the same. And I think that the, if you listen to that pod and you hear LaFleur and you hear McVeigh and you hear McDaniel, who, if you are not a, a Mike McDaniel believer, listening to the first listening to that series will change your mind. Like I, that guy has got my respect. Like I, I went into this past year and I come came to understand who I thought he was. And then hearing what he did, how hard he worked without a name, without a football, uh, you know, acumen to get where he's, he's been and defeat the alcoholism stuff. Like I know I'm off on a tangent here, but that, that was a really cool. No, thing I think it's important done. to say. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, like those guys were all very connected at the hip. And their thought process in terms of what Mike Shanahan first developed, what Gary Kubiak did on his own and took and received, and they ran with it. It is not the same. It is not the the Shanahan to his son to now all of the filterings under Mike and, and all of those guys. It is different to me than what Kubiak has done. And Kubiak has done a nice job as well. But it's not the same. And, and if you want to know the differences, the, the largest difference is just listening to the way Kyle has like these guys talk about going to Kyle with a play design idea and all of the ways Kyle will challenge them on that play design idea. And like, listen, I think Kevin's really good. I think he's good. I think he's got a lot of what's there. I don't know that he has some of the elements that have made, you know, Kyle and in, in his guys that have worked under him and, and now have gone into their own uh, roles as play callers. So special. I just think there's some layers missing to that. Now, uh, if you hear Kyle talk about his way of learning offense was through defense and understanding the way defenses fit everything the offense does and understanding what one pulling one cord does to the entire uh, structure of a defense and what one defense is taking one thing away, leaves them vulnerable here like that's the stuff that people don't understand. It's not sitting down on a whiteboard and just drawing it up. It's, hey, I'm looking at it from the defense's eyes and where are they leaving a vulnerability? And that's why Kyle's really good. So I don't think that Kev. I would prefer you would say, Jake, would you prefer that Kevin learned it from you know Kubiak or Shanahan? I would. I would obviously prefer that he had known and had a connection to Kyle. I just think that they, the the group there, which is which is proving itself to be very true have a deep knowledge of how to manipulate defenses where I think the sh- the, the Kubiak guys are, are more so, I think they're less understanding uh, on that end of what I've seen from how to really, really manipulate a defense away from bootlegs and things like that all the time. So yeah. I think that like the, the, the way I would put it is that the Kyle tree does a better job of you take away a, we have a B, C and D. It feels like the Kubiak system is you take away our a, we have a B, but it usually eliminates itself after the beat. And I think that that probably speaks to why Kevin is eager to get a quarterback to help bridge that gap, right? You know, I don't think that you get Brock Purdy results with Kevin the way you do with Kyle or Sean, right? So I'll just say that. And again, this is not a knock to Kevin. It's just, I think that coming up in that coaching tree would have been something I would have preferred a little bit more. They're in the same, they're in the same County, but not in the same zip code kind of thing yep. right so yep. that's kind of where i would yep. say it because that's a very unique core of guys there that have done 
you know, they've all found success. Not not really seen many of them fail so far. So that is a great right. question. Andrew. Right. Well, and I think I think you know the way that I ha- wanted to to talk about it was was just from the standpoint of trying to understand what you know how Stefanski got to where he was, right? Because if I mean you know prior to that those years when Kubiak was in Minnesota, you know it was Brad Childress was his main offensive you know sort of mentor, right? And so that's a different system. It's much more similar to like a Pat Shermer, you know, way back for the Browns in terms of a true Mike Holmgren style West Coast. Uh, you know, through Andy Reid. And, uh, you know, again, like to a certain extent in the modern NFL, these things aren't helpful anymore because to to be a good offensive mind at this point, you really have to kind of have it all. Uh, you have to have, you know, a, a, a pretty broad base. You cannot specialize in one thing. And I think to your point, that's where the, you know, the, the Kubiak specific, the wide zone specific piece kind of falls is that the, the, the yeah, the, the change up isn't as effective as the, as the fastball. And so you, you know, you lose some of your, your efficiency there. I, I, it's not to say that Kevin doesn't understand how all of these other things work. It's just to say that I think it does change your perspective a little bit on his background to understand that he learned this stuff from Kubiak, but the, you know, the main, you know, the, the main source of what is good in the NFL now, or what is the sort of the quote unquote meta in the NFL now comes from. Kyle Shanahan and 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 really as much as he did that under Gary Kubiak it was it was Kyle doing it and less Gary doing it and so you know under I think understanding that distinction is important for Browns fans because you know it's it's more like Kevin Stefanski added uh, a, a a song to his repertoire and and like you said he's in the same county as those uh Shanahan guys not the same zip code because they there are you know important differences and it's I I think we're, we we as much as Browns fans want to believe, and I certainly want to believe that the Browns have a, a, a coach in that in that same area in terms of an offensive play calling mastermind, it's you know it's not the same as getting a Mike McDaniel has turned out to be for Miami, or getting a Matt Lafleur has turned out to be for Green Bay. It's a different flavor. Yeah, they're good. He's good. He's good. I think the yep. difference in the level of these these coordinators is how how quickly like most of them can scheme it up and game plan it pretty well. How quickly can you digest what is happening on the field live real time and be able to take that information and have an immediate answer off of it? Right. I think that's Great always going to be, if point. you're, if you're trying to decipher as a fan, what makes an offensive coordinator, like what tears these guys up, right? The, 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 the ones that are the best at it, can take the information in real time and spit back an answer for that, right? The will linebackers continuing to play as an overhang defender. We have these answers, right? They're playing, they're dropping the front side hook defender into the, into maybe more of a curl flat, right? They're doing these things. We didn't expect we game plan for this. They game plan this way to, to answer us. And they have these answers right off of it. Those guys that have come from the shanty tree, have done pretty damn well in adjusting on the fly and finding mid-game answers. And I think Kevin is as I would put him as as good a game planner. I think he does a nice job with that stuff. But what I think I have noticed a lot, and I'm curious to see when he now gets to Sean Watson, is how does he adjust in-game on the fly to find answers where it's like, oh, okay, I see what Pittsburgh has been doing here. They're causing mayhem playing cover six. The Browns had this answer that they got to in the second quarter to take away the answer to that cover six issue that Pittsburgh's putting in front of them. So that's the stuff I think Kevin has to get better at. And I think that, um, you know, the tearing up of coordinators and you want to know why some play callers are better than others. If you put all of these guys on a whiteboard, they're all pretty damn good. They can all tell you a lot of answers, but it's how quickly can you take. And this is your coaches in the box identifying things with you, too, because on the field, I can just tell you, you can't see much. You can't see a ton. You can see little bits and pieces, but you can't see a ton. So I think that as a as a sideline play caller, you got to be really damn good. You got to be really damn good identifying what defenses are doing or have a great eagle eye up in the box who's feeding yeah. you that, right? So uh, we'll yeah. see if the Browns can get better at it and if Watson provides some reprieve from some teams you know, taking away their, their immediate answers. 
And and your point about other guys on your staff helping out too is so good there, right? Because the Browns OC is also on the sideline, right? So it'll be interesting to see this year. Is Musgrave up in the booth? Who else is up in the booth? Because Pet- Petzing is yeah. was on the sideline as well. You know, they haven't really had like a a sort of high end assistant coach in the booth on the offensive side, really. So Callahan's on the field too. Your three main right. offensive minds reside yeah. on the field. Yeah. So and then yeah. you're like O'Shea is O'Shea on the sideline? I'm not sure he if is. he is or not. He is. So I'm pretty okay, sure I've so seen that's him on the sideline as well. Stump yep. Stump is on the side. Who is up in the box yep. for the Browns offense? That's actually <laughs> no. I'm I'm being like no. I know. Have, I'm like, just I'm realizing now that I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you could probably say Petzing was. So like, okay, who else? Right. I I don't. That's something we should probably do some investigating on and trying yeah. to figure out. That's a good question for us. Uh, a little bit yeah. of a. Uh, a little bit of that answer. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, anyway, think, we're, you know, the bigger, the bigger point about, uh, you know, just the, the talent that Kyle Shanahan has sort of routinely surrounded himself with. Right. Like, I mean, uh, so many of the itself. guys that worked for him are yeah. head coaches now. And so one of the other things that's interesting about Drew Petzing going to Arizona, becoming the offensive coordinator is what is, you know, what does that look like? Is, is there, that would be the beginning of a Stefanski tree so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, mm-hmm. it's the only uh, seedling out there. So um, it'd be, it would be interesting to me. It will be interesting to me to see how that goes for him because you want to believe that they've kind of got that pipeline on offense, but you know, Chad O'Shea has gotten a few OC interviews. I know, um, you know, and, and I think did it before um, in did. Miami. Right. So, you know, yeah. do, do you see more of that or is it so far there hasn't been much of it. And so I, I just, in terms of, We've talked about this before, the talent on the coaching staff beyond the head coach. You want to see those guys kind of coming through and developing and, and proving that they are in their own way, uh, you know, strong minds that can help game plan and help scheme and all that stuff. Yeah, you, you also have to put some young people in positions that matter too, right? And right. Um, I haven't seen much of that. Now, I think Petzing was largely a Gannon connection guy. So I don't think that that was, uh, oh, we got to go get this Browns quarterback coach. I think he had a connection uh, with Gannon in some way, shape, or form there. I, I don't know it. Someone might, listening to this might know it off the top of their head. So, it, yeah, I, I think that that's the other element. Is, is some team going to want – the Browns have a great offense this year. Is Alex Van Pelt going to be somebody that is hired out? I don't know. I mean, the age and all that, it doesn't point to it. I mean, how old is he compared to Brian Dable? I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't know if there's like a massive – gap there i'm not sure but like nonetheless if you're really good at this people want to take people close to your mind and put them in their organization and we'll see if there's any trend of that going forward right that's something that is lacking for a group that has been together now we've said for some time now they've been together this is what the year four now that they've all on offense stayed together is is that good? <laughs> right? right. Like, is right. that, is that a, is that what we should be wanting? You should want some guys to go because that means teams say, yeah, whatever the hell they're doing in Cleveland, we need to try to replicate that here. Yep. So last thing right, on this, go ahead, go ahead. It's just, it, it, you mentioned this on Twitter and I just think we, we ought to say something about it for just two minutes. Such a big uh, dividing point or, or, you know, inflection point for the Browns in 2014 when Shanahan was the offensive coordinator, Mike Pettin was the head coach. And Shanahan talked his way out of the building after that season. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Browns, it would have been very risky to fire your existing head coach, make Kyle Shanahan your, your head coach. But there's a world in which they do that. And, you know, I, it's very interesting to wonder where they would be now. Well, the thing that is always interesting to me is, yeah, it would have been a large leap. I'm not sure when McVay's first year was with the Rams. Was it 17, 16, 17? I don't know. But not two years later, not even two years, it was a year and an off. They they were the first team to jump into right. Sashi Brown, like into the era of tanking and gathering and data collecting. Like, but they couldn't see that Kyle Shanahan was special in their own pre- like I mean, that is the that is the biggest disappointing element of all of that is that Man, like that's I did that ripple effect show with Jordan Zerm a while back. Like if you go back to 2014 and just hand the keys to Kyle Shanahan and just say, we're going to let you steer the ship, man, take it. It would have it could have created a huge and imagine if they would have trusted him on the quarterback he wanted instead of Manziel and given him the keys at that moment with Derek Carr. It could have changed everything. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan with Derek Carr is 
winning AFC North titles. At some point, yeah. So yeah, that's just uh, another another disappointing, uh, you know. <laughs> yep. Sponsored by yeah, Dude Wipes. All bring... right, we'll be right back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are going to take a break. So, uh, you know, do with that what you will. We'll be right back, and then we're going to talk about the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they're like a gnat at a barbecue. They will never go away. Really, that that's the entire AFC North, other than the Browns. They all just kind of linger. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Okay, so the Ravens at the time of the article we've been referring to had zero marquee additions. The subtractions that mattered that they lost were Calais Campbell, Ben powers and Chuck Clark. Uh, I think Chuck Clark has gone on to tear his ACL uh, in New York, I believe, That's correct. which is rather unfortunate for that trade for the jets. Um, the, the marquee addition was keeping uh, Lamar Jackson. And then they mm-hmm. ended up adding Odell Beckham to that fold as well. Uh, that's since that article was covered. So, yeah, it was a very steep turn, Andrew, from, you know, we were all when they didn't get a deal done, put the franchise tag on him. We were all thinking Baltimore was headed toward the abyss like Lamar, there's I don't think there's ever been something in the NFL I've been more certain on and been more wrong than thinking that the NFL would be going all in on Lamar Jackson across the league and nobody came calling. I, I I just want to revisit that between the two of us. Like there was a genuine thought for me at the time of there's no way he's staying with the Ravens. Several teams will be battling over him and the Ravens are about to go into another, you know, uh, Kyle Bowler like stretch here and it completely flipped. So yeah, it, that sucked. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Jake, I was right there with you. Um, I was right there with you. I was excited because there's, there's two pieces to this, right? There's the piece where I want the Ravens to be bad, right? And then there's yeah. also the piece where I do believe firmly that NFL contracts should be guaranteed because of the physical risks entailed in the sport. You know, there's there's we see it every year. A player tears an ACL, hurts himself otherwise, and now it's just presumed that the team's going to get out from the rest of his contract because he's not going to be the same guy anymore. Well, how is that fair, right? Because they signed that contract with a guy who is healthy and, you know, at, at the, at, you know, able to deliver, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have to uphold that, you know, both sides of it. Contracts and other major sports are guaranteed. I think it's a shame that the NFL hasn't moved there. And I really wanted Lamar Jackson to, to get what he wanted, which was a full and fully guaranteed contract. And I, there's no doubt in my mind that the NFL owners colluded, whether explicitly or implicitly, uh, to to not give him that by not accepting that as a negotiating uh, demand. I do I do think after what happened with the Browns, where where it's clear that Jimmy went rogue and maybe underestimated the yes. impact it would have on his yes. peers. Yes. Um. Where I, again, I could see this very easily happening, where they're like 
some people in that room saying, are you sure you want to do this? This is going to be unprecedented. Right. And Jimmy just sort of being cavalier about the ramifications. Absolutely. Of it. And from that has launched the NFL's owners trying all they can yep. to never let this happen again. Now we'll, we'll say comfortable. We'll, we'll give you the Kirk cousins one or two years, right? But somebody getting a five year, six year, seven year guaranteed contract. We're not doing that. Yep. We're not doing that. Yep. And I, I'm with you. I am of the belief. I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, uh, pro football talk it up with the conspiracy no. theories but there's not a doubt in my mind that the nfl owner said we have to fight this and yep. we're going to put it on the Lamar jackson situation to do it i, I really mm -hmm. do i really i really do because they know like those those uh, 32 billionaires understand uh, the ramifications of things far better far better than a lot of uh you know a lot of younger guys like asking an nfl player in his 20s, in his prime, to stop taking money to be the linchpin of this. It's hard. That's that's a hard thing for any player individually Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. And um, yes. owners owners can always wait that out. So mm -hmm. anyway, Lamar is back. They sign Odell to a $20 million deal. So they have Lamar and they have Pro Bowler Tyler Huntley back as well. It's amazing. Um, wide receiver group is it's boomer bust, right? Like to me, Odell is, if he's a version of his old self is a nice addition. Rashad Bateman is a talented player, but consistently plagued with injuries. Zay flowers is a very small human being, but a very explosive one. Does the small nature, like, does it end up haunting his career? They could be a pretty damn good group by the end of the year, or they could be a bust group where they're moving on from Bateman potentially and they're sitting there with like we have Zay Flowers who was who had moments like a Wandale Robinson type, right? Right, or some other smaller receiver. Not saying that you know Zay was a first round guy. I get that. I get that. I'm not trying to make a direct comparison there, but just like these smaller yeah. guys don't always find that success. So we'll we'll see. They also have Nelson Aguilar. They still bring back Devin Duvernay. Uh, James Prochet is there. They have Laquan Treadwell. They've got names. Um, Andy Isabella, apparently also in, in Baltimore. Sure. A lot of wide receiver names. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, offensive line is Ronnie Stanley, um, the version of Ronnie Stanley that I don't think is anywhere near as good as it used to be, but That's he right. is playing uh, back again. Uh, the guard situation is is a really tough name of a player they took in the sixth round. Amuavave yeah. Laulu. Laulu, I think is how you pronounce that. I am not sure much about him, but they have him as on our lads as slated to start the Oregon product who they took in the sixth round. Tyler Linderbaum is a fantastic young center. Uh, issues in pass protection as any smaller center will have at times against one-on-one -on -one blocks, but a very great mover. Kevin Zeitler, a fine guard. We know his history. Obviously, his time with the Browns. Ben Cleveland's still there. And then Morgan Moses on the other side at tackle, who's a nice player as well. So it's a good line. It's one that some people have ranked in front of the Browns. Uh, I know that you disagreed with that the other day, Andrew, but that's a group that a lot of people believe in. Mark Andrews is back at tight end. As good as it gets in the NFL behind, you know, every, tier one is Kelsey, and then he's in that tier two group. Isaiah likely had serious flashes as a rookie. Nice player. Coastal Carolina product. The perpetually disappointing in the NFL, J.K. Dobbins. Largely tied to injuries. We'll see if he gets it right. He certainly believes in himself. Um, you know, very outward spoken on social media about that. Uh, so J.K. Dobbins is back. They have Gus Edwards. They drafted. They didn't draft Keaton Mitchell. They picked him up in uh, free agency. But Justice Hill also back as well. Fullback situation. One of the few teams using fullbacks anymore. Still Patrick Ricard is there. We'll see if they get really creative uh, with Todd Monken. That's the big change. They go from yeah. Greg Roman to Todd Monken. Uh, as offensive coordinator. So, uh, you know, give me your thoughts on Baltimore's offense. It, I think it feels like a wild card group to me, Andrew. It does. Yeah, I have heard so much confidence that this group is going to be really, really good this year. And I understand that from the perspective of they have added, you know, certainly talent to the wide receiver room, right? This is a more talented group than it was a year ago. Uh, and the, the offensive line has been good, you know, I mean, to your point, you know, they, they, they have been ranked really highly. Uh, and I, I mean, people love Lamar and I, I'm definitely one of those. Right. So, I mean, you, you know, and then I think there was a lot of in, in sort of, you know, smart NFL media circles, a lot of dislike for what Greg Roman was doing, especially in the passing game. And so I think the equation is 
keep everything Greg Roman did in the running game, get rid of everything he did in the passing game, replace what he did in the passing game with Todd Munkin, who is a good offensive mind. So the, the running game stays exactly the same. The passing game goes from below average to really good. All these wide receivers hit. The offensive line stays good. That's a top. I, I, I heard somebody say top three offense. I think it was Mina Kimes said top three offense potential, not, you know, guaranteed, yeah, but yeah. if everything hits top three offense, I see that as a, as a potential ceiling, I suppose, but I think it kind of glosses over a lot of the, that's uneven an, everything goes right. Yeah, exactly. Everything that, right. Goes that's right. like a, that's like an all lights green situation. Yeah. No injuries, etc. So to me, the two big issues here, one, can you just assume that Todd Munkin is going to scrap everything bad and add everything good? Like, that's not usually how the NFL works, right? Like, you don't get to get rid of Greg Roman, but keep all the stuff he did really well. I mean, I know that exists to a certain extent, but go ahead. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You can't you can dismiss Greg Roman's ability to design pass concepts and answers off of the run, but he is the one of the best quarterback run game guys we've ever seen Precisely. in the NFL. He developed the Colin Kaepernick structure that exploded back then, and he has given Lamar in the in the run game great options. So just saying, removing him, but we're going to keep all of his stuff, that's that's a leap. That's a leap. So I Precisely. just wanted to add that to your point, yep. which is I do think Todd Monken should layer up the offense's general structure. He should do a nice job. He did a great job with tight ends, multiple tight ends at Georgia. He created some nice play action stuff, but the run game element, you can't sleep on that. I, th- mm-hmm. I think just presuming that's going to be the same is a big leap. Yeah, because it's not – I mean, certainly Lamar Jackson deserves a ton of credit for creating after broken down pass plays, creating on run plays that don't work the way they're intended to work, certainly. But a lot of what the Ravens were successful with, as you rightly pointed out, was game planning for their opponents in the run game, finding an opponent's weakness and exploiting it somewhat ruthlessly, right? Because they – they were a team that was not afraid to just run the ball until you could stop them. And if you couldn't, they would they wouldn't stop. And I don't I don't think it's fair to assume that Todd Munkin is going to have the same facility with run game design that Greg Roman did. Uh, even though he did show some of that at Georgia, to me, that whole like he's going to do everything he did at Georgia as well as he did it at Georgia in the NFL. We should know better than that, right? The college football game, especially right now, is so different from what happens in the NFL, and it's like it's. It's very easy in college to make other teams look silly. Much harder to do that in the NFL. Significantly harder on a consistent basis, right? Week right. to week, it's you could get one week right, but the next is yeah, tough. I, I think um, let's let's just go let's go through the defense, and then we'll talk about the questions. Yeah. Um, so defensively, uh, it's Justin Matabuke at one of their edge, uh, you know, interior four eye edge types. They're an odd front defense. So Michael Pierce, Broderick Washington. They still have Travis Jones. They still have Brent Urban. They've got some young pieces mixed in with some veteran pieces. The rush edge is Odafe Owe. David Ojabo's back, getting healthy. Um, that's their fourth. Their rush guy is their fourth guy. Linebacker stuff here. Off ball, Patrick Queen. We know the investment. Malik Harrison. You know They've invested a gigantic first-round trade. They, they, I mean, they, what they gave Roquan between the second-round pick and the fir- and the huge contract is equivalent to a first-round pick. Yep. Another first-round pick, Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison in the third round, and Trenton Simpson in the third round. They are, as we have discussed this offseason, as committed to linebacker play as any team we've seen in this division. Tyus Bowser is the other uh, hybrid linebacker. And then another guy they took in the fourth round this year, Tavius Robinson, will also be filling that role, the Mississippi product. So they, again, are, are as pot committed to that position and getting that, that hybrid answer as anybody cornerbacks. They signed Rocky sin from Las Vegas, brought him over. Obviously Marcus Peters, who was long time uh, Mar- Marlon Humphrey's longtime running mate is, is, has been moved on from, they have Jalen armor Davis from Alabama. They took in the fourth round last year. They took in the fifth round this year, Caillou blue Kelly. So those are your four, corners on the outside brandon stevens is a guy they took in the third round of 21 he's okay demarion uh williams they took in the fourth round last year is also competing for that role uh, so their, their their cornerback situation is a little uneven compared to what it has been in recent years the safeties are good marcus williams uh, is is a fine safety they brought over from new orleans geno stone backs him up and then uh, the first round pick Notre Dame product kyle hamilton had some growing pain moments but is a good player so 
defensively, it, it's just it's a solid group that is well coached. They're solid, well coached. It'll be year two uh, with Mike uh, with Mike McDonald, who came over from Michigan, actually. So I expect them to be even better in that system with him. Um, they're getting a little healthy. Getting a Jabo back will be a good part of what they do pass rush wise. It's still a very dangerous defense. So yeah, I'll let you kind of what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I think that I would just say that some of their recent draft picks have not hit in the same way, you know, um, and they are a team that every year gets love for drafting because they are very good at finding value, uh, you know, in most people's sort of vision of where the, the board falls, but but some of these players that are second team players or in, in some cases first team players have not consistently shown it uh, at the NFL level. And, you know, I, I think that I, I think Mike McDonald did a great job last year. I think that they will have to continue to be well coached because I don't think that they have the same overwhelming talent where you can just kind of roll the ball out there and expect their defense to win. They are going to win with scheme and that's there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not. This is not the the Ravens' defense of years past, where you know the the level of intimidation factor just from the names is is there. That's not the case, and I think you know losing a guy like I mean you, you lose Calais Campbell and Marcus Peters in one off season. To me, that is a, a meaningful loss of of veteran leadership, the type of thing that can can unsettle a defense. Now. You, your your point about Roquan Smith is so good. They have invested a ton, so he really needs to be that guy now for them, right? He has to be sort of the the linchpin of this whole thing, and I think he can be. But they are they are going to be relying on guys to to play significant snaps that haven't seen it now, haven't shown it, and I think the the you know the Ravens and the Steelers year after year do that and succeed at that. But I don't want to just be in the business of assuming. Okay, well, you know, they drafted, you know, I mean, like Jalen Armour Davis. Is he any good? I don't know. He was a fourth-round pick last year. Yeah, I think that this is a roster, like you said, who has pieces. Owe, you know, Matabuke. They've got a lot of – that guy's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I think that they need some guys to take a lead. They they really do. And, and Marlon Humphrey even had a down year last year. So, like, mm-hmm. I think that they're a defense that has some depth. They've done some nice selection stuff. But, but do they have – some guys like is Kyle Hamilton going to take a leap, right? Like mm-hmm. there's some, some questions about if they have enough really, really good players. I, I mean, this is a defense. I'll say this. I don't fear them as much as I did the wink Martindale versions yeah. two years ago yeah. where they were in your face, mugging you, making every bit of life really uncomfortable. And we'll leave it at, we'll kind of leave it at that. I mean, I, 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 I think they're good. Mm-hmm. I think they're saying the same thing about their offense. I just think that they, while I think Cincinnati has like first or second place basement ceilings. Mm, agreed. agreed. I think this team has a first fourth scenario I agree. here where they could be good enough to win the division and they could also everything sort of doesn't hit the way some people think and they're they're the team that ends up in fourth in the division. So that's yeah. probably that's probably you know the who are they? They're very boomer bust. I, I mean I don't know you want to answer more of the who are they I mean, they're Lamar Jackson led. And I feel like we could say that about every team, but yeah. I mean, they're they're definitely uh, Harbaugh's team. They're they're gritty. They're 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 a well run organization with a with with a well you know a very well respected and uh, you know well run ship there from the coaching staff perspective. They do a great job, uh, but I, I don't really think that they have a true identity right now. They're trying to find to put it this way. They're trying to find their identity on both sides of the football right now, which is a dangerous thing running into a season where, you know, because the Browns are doing the same thing. They're trying to find their offensive identity and defensive identity, and that's why they're, they're probably the variables for both of those teams are they could win the division or they could be in last. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. I think the Browns and the Ravens are much more similar in terms of lots of talent throughout the offense and defense, not enough guys that have really proven that they are dudes, right? And when you don't, when you have guys that are in sort of that ascending, maybe improving, but not quite haven't fully arrived, there's, I think there's, it's right to have some uncertainty. And I think the point with the Ravens is depth, right? So like if Marlon Humphrey, for example, got hurt, their cornerback room looks pretty sparse, right? If, I mean, on the offensive line, if, if an offensive line, they have to do some shuffling, those guys are older, right? Stanley, Zeitler, Moses, those guys are older players. If they have to shuffle there, they're going to be starting some guys with very little experience on the offensive line. So I think 
I think you're right in terms of boom or bust because I think it's very easy, as we said before, to see a scenario where they do kind of go supernova. But I think people aren't talking enough about, and this is this is for sure the Browns fan in me, right? Like wanting to envision the case where these guys don't do it. But I don't think people are talking enough about it. So the question is um, two things. Who, what's their X factor this year, and are they better or worse? I, um, I think that they're... Their X factor might be Todd Monken. Can he mm-hmm. can he do it at a level that is? You know, there's always the risk. I always call it the Phil Fulmer rule. Like the, the the you could you the Tennessee. This is if you don't know who that is. Tennessee fired Phil Fulmer because they thought they could do better. Right? They yes. kind of plateaued under him yep. after several runs at national championships. They had won one and they thought they could do better. And then they fired him, and the program really has never gotten back to where it was. And Absolutely. I think that, like, with the move, removal of Greg Roman, I think that that's certainly an opportunity, like a situation where you could say it's easy to see we can upgrade, we can be better. But there's also this outcome opportunity situation where they could be worse. They mm-hmm. could be worse. So I think that Monken, to me, I know who Lamar is. I have a pretty good feel for most of the roster. I think the offense is what everybody is saying is going to be so much better. And that, to me, screams an X factor is the guy designing it. That's just yeah. who I, that's how I have. And I, I kind of think that they're probably a, a very much similar team to what they were last year in a large part. So I don't know that I'm worthy to tilt that they're better or worse in any way. Uh, but, but I do feel confident on the X factor side of things with Todd Monk. And what's your thought there on those two questions? Yeah, I, I agree with you. X factor wise, Todd Munkin. And I think, you know, as sort of an extension of that, you want to talk about players, you could talk about all three of those wide receivers, right? Like it kind of maybe doesn't matter to them, which one of those guys is a, a number one. If Flowers can hit right away, that would be obviously ideal because they just drafted him. But if Bateman wants to come back and be that dude, that's cool. If Beckham wants to come in, they need one of them, though. They can't afford to have all three of them not do it. Very true. So I think those guys – but that really is an extension of your point, which is if Munkin designs an offense that can really take advantage of those guys' skill sets, then one of them should hit. And maybe two of them hit, and they become totally unstoppable. Uh, I I think so. I think that's kind of – you know, the X factor is is really what the passing game looks like because – the bet here is that the passing game is going to really change and then move things for the team. In terms of better or worse, I think that I agree with you that they're about the same. I think the difference from this year to last year is that their window has really expanded in terms of the outcomes. I think they truly could be one of the best teams in the NFL. I also think they could miss the playoffs. I think the window is bigger in terms of possible outcomes, whereas last year I felt like they were really kind of dependable, like you know this is going to be a 9-11 to win team. Defensively, an X factor. What? It's probably the corner situation. Is Rocky a sin, or there, are there any of these others? The nickel situation with Brandon Stevens. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, yeah. and Kyle Hamilton to a certain extent, like take that next step, prove that you're. Yeah, worth their bo- the box play that. between that front and the linebacker should be fine enough. So yeah. it probably comes down to how they handle things as a secondary. Okay. Um, a special teams too, because we mentioned him with the Bengals. Jordan Stout's in his second year as the punter. Yeah, who's their kicker? Uh, who is the? I, he's a, he's a decent one. He actually makes more than some running backs. Um, <laughs> just, Justin Tucker uh, is decent. Continuing, I wish he would go away, but he won't. Um, yeah. Yeah. The return guy. I mean, Devin Duvernay is as good as it gets as a return yeah. guy too. I, so they're very strong special teams, as you, you would expect under Harbaugh. You know. Yeah. When you said who are they, that I almost said Justin Tucker because in a way. When you're it's playing amazing. them and you're in the fourth yeah. quarter, that's in the back of your head. It's like this lead's got to be a touchdown. Otherwise, they'll just keep kicking field goals until they win. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I don't. I, there's no comparison. There really no. isn't a. It's like a one golfer who has. If you let this guy, if he finds the fairway, he's going to tuck it into like three feet. Like I, I just. Yeah, one on one is the way to say it. All right. So at this point, considering the moves they made, depth they've added at some key spots, they probably feel like they're tier two playoff expectations, right? Coming off last year's yeah. playoff run, right? I, um, I mean, I yeah, I think you could even make the case that they probably feel like they're tier one, just in terms of getting Lamar a different kind of offensive coordinator that can really elevate things. Um, I, I mean, I I I think I agree with you. I think it's tier two for them, and I think that again that variance is wide. But um, I think expectations are really high. I mean, they, 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 the moves they made are moves that you make when you think you're pretty close with the roster you have. I mean, they were in that interesting situation where they couldn't add a ton because the Lamar contract thing was so undecided. They didn't know where they were going to end up. And so it's, you know, I, I do think it is interesting uh, in terms of, you know, is this roster as good as it has been? But I think they definitely see themselves as, as competing for the division first and foremost. So 
the question is for these guys, how do you beat them, right? We said the same thing mm. with the Bengals and tried to analyze that. I know it's different with Monken, whereas the last year you would say, take if you took the run and everything they tried to do in the run game and made that difficult and forced Lamar into throwing it downfield consistently, yep. that was sort of the formula. I don't know that you can say with a new structure with Monken this year that that's the, the answer again, but I think you have to lean there, right? Like you have to lean that that's probably the answer until we see it isn't the answer. And defensively, what do you do to beat them? I, I think, again, you have to you have to have both phases rolling. Like, I don't think you can be one-dimensional and beat these guys. Now, maybe you can with some of the secondary uncertainty, but I think that the way the Browns have given them fits over recent years, their play-action game has been really tough against them and hurt them in some, some, some different ways. So I think you have to be balanced offensively. And then I do think you have to continue to make them make Lamar one-dimensional, make it sit on Lamar's shoulders, make him consistently throw 40 passes, and find a way to beat you picking you apart like that. Because if you allow Baltimore's play action game to matter, you're dead. Like you're dead when that happens. Like if they're running it seven, eight yards a chunk and you you can get play actioned off of that stuff, it's a nightmare scenario. You know pretty quickly whether you're gonna have a fun game against Baltimore or one of those miserable ones where mm-hmm. you just have no chance. Like there's times where Baltimore with Lamar and that play action stuff where you're just like, there is no answer for these guys. They have to just hope for a turnover or hope that they don't complete a throw because they have you on a string right now. So that's uh, it's a simple answer to some of these things, but it is what coaches are saying. We can't let them run it. That's what the, with Baltimore, you cannot let them establish stuff that they can, can branch off their play action and, and make them a, a team that can give you fits in both phases. And then on offense, you really do need to be balanced to beat them because if you allow them to, you know, sit in coverage and you, you're not the, the front is controlling your ability to run on them. They're, they're a nightmare because they can do some fun things with that coaching staff that's been around there. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to add to what you said. I do. Th- I, I think with the loss of Calais Campbell, you wonder if there's a little bit more, a little bit more uh, ability to get some movement up front. And, and does that translate to, to the Browns ability to, you know, kind of play from ahead against them? Uh, yeah. I mean, on, on, for the Browns on defense, you know, I mean, to me, it's it's the, the the two things that I, when I think about the Ravens, like you said, it's going to be one of those games. It's Lamar Jackson getting outside the pocket, making plays, and then it's Mark Andrews always being open or always catching the ball even if he's not open. So, it, you know, like there's other ways they can beat you, but I'd rather lose to him throwing in the ball to Rashad Bateman 10 times than him throwing the ball to Mark Andrews 20 times, right? So take Andrews out and keep Jackson inside the pocket, see what happens. Take your, take your best shot with that. That's what you have to do. Now, Lamar is, is more than that. You know, he can throw oh, for sure. still, but 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 I, I think that s- still with the ability of his legs, you're still asking him to throw it more as something I'd be more keen to do. Yeah, to, you're picking your poison for sure, for sure. Yeah. That's true with all the yep. – I mean, certainly at least the Bengals and the, the Ravens, right? Like when we talked about how you beat the Bengals the other day, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you're going to need a little yeah. bit of help. I mean, these are good teams. Yeah, yeah they are. So – so they're listen, we're we're probably saying that be saying this about the first two. I know I think there's parts of Pittsburgh that we can pick apart a little bit more than these first Looking two, but they're, that, yeah. they're they're really good. Baltimore and, yeah. and Cincinnati, they're really good. I certainly believe in Cincinnati more than Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I see fall situations where Baltimore is not who people think they are, but they're still very talented. They're well coached, well run, and uh they're never until like, like that's what we we're talking about at the beginning of the uh, se- segment here is that's why you hope Lamar was gone because yes. the, 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 the pillars of these, this franchise, which are right now Lamar and uh, Marlon Humphrey and, you know, uh, John Harbaugh are, are there. And until they're gone, one core piece of that uh, goes where the defense sinks or the offense is, is down and out. Then Yep. They're going to be extremely brutal to handle, and, and yep. they're still in the mold of extremely brutal to handle and play. And the Browns have played them well at home lately. It's feel like I've said this about Stefanski in, entirely, where it feels like at home they've they've played all these teams really well. They they have not. I don't think Stefanski's won on the road in Baltimore, so that's uh that's going to be something. Like I think his first year they they opened there and they got blown out. Mm-hmm. The um, last year, I know that they were on the cusp, and then they ended up having that Jacoby Brissett fumble hurt them into losing that game. I do not remember the twenty-one outcome, but that was a I'm loss. Sure. It was they, that yeah, was the year they played them on both sides of the bye week. That's right. They yeah, should they have lost. beat them, but they lost. That was another Mayfield giveaway game. Oh man, 
bad memories. Okay, well, that's Baltimore. So yeah. we're done with that. Um, you saying that, Jake, good. this is probably not the right place to put this, but this is something that I think just really clicked into place for me. One of the reasons probably that you and I can sometimes come across as being overly negative about the Browns is because you can't sit here right now as an AFC, a fan of an AFC team and say like, well, you know, as soon as Andy Reid retires and, uh, you know, uh, Sean McDermott uh, gets a different job or Josh Allen gets hurt uh, and then Lamar Jackson gets straight. I mean, you would be waiting for a literal decade for all of those situations to line up, right? The path to the AFC championship right now is not going to ever be handed to you. It's going to be about your team truly, at least on that day, being better than these other teams. So the bar for these AFC teams is so fucking high. There's just no other way to put it, right? So when we're talking about the Browns need to do X, Y, and Z, it's not because we don't think that they can be a good team as is. They are a good team right now, I think. But the bar if you put the, the Browns AFC, in the yeah, if you put them in the NFC, they're a top four seed. Like, great point. The, yeah, they're, the winning, NFC, they're winning any of those divisions other than the East. Pretty well, I guess maybe the 49ers. But yes, you're right. They're 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 a top four team in the NFC right now. I believe that. Yes. Yeah, that's why and they the, might not the make NFL the is, is re, yeah, <laughs> for sure. The NFL is yeah. really tilted. It is historically AFC good right now. Like yes, that is exactly. there are smart people yep. saying that. It's insanely good on the AFC side and yep. um, some balance would be better for everything here, especially considering, but again, they're in the AFC North and they're not leaving it anytime soon. Exactly. It sucks exactly. that the other three teams have figured it out really well, but you either step your game up or you stay in perpetual obscurity because you're, they're not moving you out of the division. You're not getting thrown into the AFC South anytime soon. So maybe in 15 years, this will be different, but the, the cores of this Tomlin's going nowhere anytime soon. Harbaugh's going nowhere anytime soon. The Bengals are climbing the hill. They're not right. down the hill. Right. So well, and that's not even to, to miss the point where the Bengals are sitting on top of the hill of who yeah. they are as, a, as an organization. So you better find a way. And this is why when, when people say, why did the Browns do what they did with Deshaun Watson? This is yeah. why this, this is why, because otherwise you are just hoping and you're toiling away trying to figure out a solution, something that you don't have a solution to. So they're hoping that they have the solution. Yeah. Andrew. Yep. No, I, I think that's exactly right. The, and the Bengals, as much as you don't like to take notes from a divisional opponent, the Bengals were in the exact same place the Browns were. And then the, over the past few years, they have figured out not just the quarterback position, but the offense more generally, they have hit on wide receivers in the draft. They have, found a defensive coordinator that gets these guys playing above their ability level. They have executed at every phase of the game just better than their opponents. This is It's not a fluke, right? And so there's this temptation with Browns fans to want to believe that the, you know, that the downfall is coming for any of these teams, but it's not. The only path for the Browns is being better than these guys. That's the only path forward. That's what the, you know, certainly what the team would say, but I think it's just very hard to accept as fans that there's never going to be in 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 the foreseeable future there's not going to be an easy path to anything for the Browns. They're going to have to earn it every step of the way. And it's like that's why the opener against the Bengals is at the same time that it's frustrating it is such a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, the thing that that people forget about the Bengals and and we should have mentioned this the other day is like they, they, you know, they've had down moments since the turn of the century. They've, they've had bad years, but they were committed to Marvin Lewis. They did it Absolutely. too. Like people yep. forget that they, how long they gave Marvin Lewis and that they won the division multiple times. They went to the playoffs as a wild card. They found real success. And then they decided to tear it down and have a chance for the Bengals to go into coaching turmoil, obscurity. And they didn't, they landed you know, the little luck there that you do land the, the first pick in a year that it is, you know, Joe Burrow yeah. sitting there for you to take. But like they have if you, you, you know, people want to try to mock the Bengals sometimes. Hey, man, they were actually pretty damn relevant since the turn of the century in terms mm -hmm. of like just over time winning divisions and like winning the divisions in, in the 2010 to 2016, 17 range against. You know, it's some really damn good Pittsburgh and Baltimore teams. And I know they lost. They had those disappointing playoff games, but they were good, man. And they've yep. been pretty well run. Yep. Uh, as, 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 as far as any, like imagine the Bengals in the AFC set, they would have won it for 12 straight years, like yep. Yep. in those Marvin years. So mm -hmm. 
there just is no equivalent to the to the Browns situation. They, they, right. they just there's not even a team in the same ballpark. So I applaud the Browns for giving the group that is here a fourth year and and trying to really really trying to get this right. But uh, to to the greater point here, the division's really good. So you adapt or die. They have they they exactly. have to adapt or die. And 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 they have. Uh, they, I just think that they're let's put it this way. Andrew, the Browns are in their best streak of good decisions in a long time. Mm-hmm. I think they're in their best streak of good decisions. You can argue some minor things here and there, but they're in their best streak of it. And they just, they really need to capitalize on it to put it into that sort of longevity realm that they've seen around them, that the examples they've seen around them. So uh, <laughs> that's probably the biggest part of why this year is so pivotal in, in, in every way, shape and form. So all right, right. we'll leave it at that. Good pod, man. Fun to have you on and do these. And we, we, one more to do. It's been a fun roller coaster of, of, uh, of different teams and talking points, but, but I think these are, these are doing uh, a real service to people getting ready for the year. So thanks, Andrew. Always a pleasure, Jake. Guys, that's a wrap for today. Check out the OBR. We're going to listen. We're on the cusp of having an app, which is going to be really sick. Uh, I hope we can get that launched. So, um, want to want to make a uh, plant the seed there a little bit that the OBR app is in the process of happening that we really hope it comes to light uh, because it'll be great for you to get notifications on on every single thing we have on the website. So join us now. Community is great. I think we're gonna continue to to harbor that and hopefully you guys feel like you're a part of it with input and the ability to talk to writers and get inside information from every angle, uh, both analysis and, and numbers based and all that stuff. So. Uh, like I say, if you if you listen to this pod, rate and review it. Join us at the OBR. Take advantage of the opportunity to do so to enrich your Browns experience. Take advantage of that. Thanks to Andrew for taking time out of his day to do the show. And then thanks to you guys, as as usual, for being the uh, the biggest support cast out there for, for a show that we we have fun doing and, and hopefully you guys have fun listening to. So thanks again for all of that over, over a long period of time as we get to ready to launch into another football season. The rookies will be reporting today when you're listening to this. So that's exciting stuff. So thanks again for stopping by, guys. Have a great Wednesday and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.